do me a favour, if you are listening, please hit the subscribe button, like, share, rate, review the podcast. It really means more than you realise. I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films. I'm delighted to welcome Rachel Watkin to the podcast. <laughs> Rachel, grab a seat. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I mean, what could be better? Free booze, <laughs> pizza. Can't be bad, can't be bad. Well, listen, look, we're going to um, really appreciate you coming on. It's great. Like I said, I've, I've been fortunate enough to hear you speak before and um, a truly inspiring story. So, look, I just want to jump straight in. What, talk to me about what life was growing up like for you. Like, you, you had quite a traumatic childhood and went into care. So let, let's start there if we can. God, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> so my mum was married to a guy called James. And it wasn't a very happy marriage because James had realized that he actually wanted to transition and become a woman. Uh, their sex life was non-existent, so my mum started having an affair. I was the result of an affair. And when I was born, I was very blonde. And the rest of the family, my siblings, were all very dark. So it was a bit of a clue and um, caused a complete breakdown in their marriage. <clears throat> There was an accident outside our house when I was eight months old. Um, a, a boy got run over. My mum went out to go and help the boy. And a few days later, the police came round to our house just to get a statement. And instead of getting a statement from her, they walked in to find my stepdad um, in my mum's clothing, which back in 71 was completely unacceptable. Um, and me sitting on the floor in with no clothes on in December, freezing cold and blue. So they called social services. Um, social services came and my stepfather basically threw me at social services like a rugby ball. Um, and I was taken straight to hospital where I was there for about five weeks, we think. Um, and the hospital notes say that I was about to lose my toes if I'd stayed there any longer and I would have lost my feet within a week. Um, so moved into care for the next few years. And what, what, what's that like, like being in care and being in that process? Like what was I've got no idea, I don't remember it. Really? No, <laughs> nothing at all. Um, I came out when I was about three. Social services had this wise idea to move me back with my parents because my mum by then had married my real father. Right. My stepfather uh, went through and did transition. Uh, the, the, we think it was the first case in the UK of two women then applying for divorce um, oh. because there had been a case previously, but the, the marriage was just annulled yeah, as opposed yeah. to an actual divorce case. Um, and yeah, so I was raised by the three parents. Wow. And what, and what, like, talk about that. Can, can you talk about that in that childhood and, and growing up through, through that period? Or So my parents wouldn't were not bad people individually, but the relationship with the three of them was mm. just toxic. And they all had 
seriously bad mental health problems of, of different varieties. Mm -hmm. My stepfather, thinking that he was um, going to have a fantastic life as a female, turned out it was mainly because he was in love with my dad. Um, and obviously my dad was in love with my mum. So there's like this weird mm -hmm. uh, um, tri-relationship. Um, and the children were just in the way. And, and my, my dad was a, uh, a serial entrepreneur, except that the business came to anything, and left this trail of debt and lies. So we just moved all the time. We sort of left that pile of debt, moved into a new home, changed schools. Um, um, we worked out I'd lived in 13 different houses and been to nine schools wow. by the time I left. I'm interested in the, in, I'm interested in the, in the fact that you then went down a path of being an entrepreneur um, but see, seeing that and and seeing your dad running the, these different businesses that work but ha you still chose that path to go in and, and and be an entrepreneur knowing knowing what you'd seen from him oh i went down the complete wrong route first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by 18 i was engaged to a hell's angel for those of you that don't know what they are pretty dodgy biker group um I was arrested for drugs, um, courtesy of uh, Hotel Maidenhead Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but later on. <laughs> later on. <laughs> well, talk to so let's move on to that then, sort of where that sort of inspired because you, your vision for a, a fair trade business come from from a trip like you worked in Sierra Leone to recoup. Talk to me about that that experience and what. Like, how did you get into that and uh, on that path? Have you seen the film Blood Diamond? Yeah. Yeah. So that was filmed, or, or where it was set, was when I was out there. Oh. The only difference between reality and that film was that there was no partying. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, Sierra Leone at the time, because it was a military coup, uh, Freetown, the capital, was literally being ripped to shreds. Um, there were eco-mogs soldiers with roadblocks sort of every hundred yards and there was just literally bodies in the street i was working in the treasury and there was gunfire in the distance um and there was lots of names being read out really fast on the radio and i said to one of the women you know what what's going on is it like horse racing or something she said oh no it's a public execution just outside 25 people being shot um, and they literally had black bags put over their heads and just shot with a magazine each. Uh, Mind-blowing stuff. But the point was that the EU was pumping millions and millions of dollars into Sierra Leone to help with the poverty, to help with the war. And actually, so much of it was being siphoned off in corruption. It was unreal. And, and the poverty on the ground, you've never seen anything like it. So... I wanted to do something proactive to help um, and set up a really early fair trade jewellery business. Yeah. Wow. I'm almost like, bit, the things you've seen, like the things you've sort of described, obviously even growing up and then around that as well. Where, where, where's your mindset at that point, like in the things that you've seen and from your childhood, from, from being in Sierra Leone? How do you get your mindset at, from out of that to go, I'm going to go and then make a difference and I'm going to go and change. It's going to sound a bit weird, but 
because my childhood was so extreme, you know, there was a, a lot of violence, a mm -hmm. lot of very unpleasant things happening. I won't say too much because there's children present. Mm. Um, but, it, but it really wasn't very good. And, and then, you know, sort of seeing the extremes in Sierra Leone, it doesn't affect me in the same way as it does other people because I've never known what normal's like. Yeah. I, I know that sounds strange, but when you don't have any concept of normality, it doesn't it doesn't phase you in the same way yeah so it's like let's just go and do something because <laughs> i guess like listening to that story and that journey there's certain people that you know you hear many stories about people who have had traumatic childhoods or and then they go down a, a completely different path a similar path to that or or whatever but it's fascinating to hear and as i said i've heard before but fascinating to hear that story of you and knowing that what you've been through and those experiences but we have a choice at some point in mm. their lives. I guess I'll get, that's the, the key message. I think certainly what I took out of you well, the first time I heard you talk is that we've all got a choice at whatever point that is in life that we can we can either go on that path and follow the same routine or we can we, we can. we have a choice every day, every single day, and and that is one of the the gifts of life, if you like. Yeah. That at whatever point when you think you know life's not great, you've got a choice. Yeah. Um, and we are, as far as I understand it, I mean, science is always a bit dodgy, isn't it? Apologies, any scientists here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we are one of the few species with a prefrontal cortex where we can visualize and we can imagine what another future looks like. Mm. Um, what a gift. We just don't use it enough. Yeah, love that. I love that. So look, t tell me what, what led you then in 2007, you launched Tiny Box Company. What, what led to that point, Mark? So, jumped a massive phase from when I um, from when I left Sierra Leone. I just got really sick and I couldn't work for a number of years and I literally hit rock bottom. Um, I now know what it means to lose everything. I lost my house, my partner walked out, lost my job and it took me four years before I could work again. Um, and what, what was your illness? What did you I went in for a routine appendix operation and Something went horribly wrong. I don't know what happened. The, the hospital lost my notes. Um, and for the first six weeks after the operation, I literally had seizures every morning, uh, like a full-on sort of fit. And um, by the time the doctors, medics arrived, it had passed, you know, and then the same thing would happen the next morning. And this went on for, for six weeks took me nine months before I could walk any further than just to the end of the bathroom and back again to bed. Wow. Um, and the worst part of it, I really believe now that the worst thing you can lose is hope. As long as there's hope, <laughs> it, you can kind of get through anything. But I had no hope as to whether I was ever going to recover, whether I was ever going to properly walk again or have any kind of life. Um, and, and I started the fair trade jewellery business because I couldn't work full time, you know, I was still pretty incapacitated. Mm. Um, and then I needed jewellery boxes to put my fair trade jewellery in. And it was a startup. I was working part time, very limited. <laughs> and all of the packaging companies wanted a thousand units of each size box and 10 to 12 week lead time. And I was like, well, well, I've only got 10 bits of jewellery to start with. <laughs> this isn't going to work. <laughs> and, and I approached so many UK manufacturers 
And I was like, what? This is 2007. Why can't I just buy off the shelf? You know, there must be lots of other jewellery companies. And it was, this was the start of the sort of Etsy-type era. Yeah. It's like, there must be loads of others that just want ring boxes or necklace boxes or bangle boxes. Why is it so hard? I just want to go back a little, little bit just there where you, you talk about losing that losing hope I yeah. guess like that that, that peer but you, you still although you've lost that bit of hope I guess in, in a cer certain aspect because and, and it would be fair to say at that point in your life you look back at, at what's happened and you could easily go down a different path again mm. I guess to that to, to what you did go down and yet you still at some at, even as low as you got at that point you still then gone I'm going to start a business mm -hmm. that's going to maybe have an impact or like you say, just to, just to survive, I guess. So I, I guess the defining moment, you know, I, by the age of 14, I was, I was out of the family home mainly. I was sort of sofa surfing, staying with friends, anything to avoid the parents. When I got really sick, I was forced effectively to go back and live with them because I had lost everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, it was a great thing because it allowed us to kind of rebuild our relationships. My parents' mental health was a lot better. My stepfather was out of the equation. Um, and, and there was some kind of stability. And when I was really poorly, it was actually the, my, my mum that said, just get over it. You know, you, you've got the choice, again, of sitting in bed all day feeling sorry for yourself or just go and do something a bit more positive. I was like, okay, fair comment, <laughs> slap on the wrists. <laughs> um, and I did a charity auction. Uh, it was uh, the first one of its time. It sort of became a thing afterwards. But I wrote to 300 celebrities and said, can you just draw me a picture? Draw me a picture of anything, doesn't matter what, and we'll auction the drawings off. Mm. I spent loads of time researching the letters of how I was going to structure it and what I was going to ask. Sent them a blank bit of paper, stamped addressed envelope, and you know, 85 of the 300 responded back. Great. And the next thing I know, I've got a big celebrity art exhibition happening with an auction afterwards. Uh, and Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin came and opened it for me, you know. Um, didn't know who he was at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bit orcs. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, we could ask him. Like, Is he famous? <laughs> Soon found out he was. He absolutely got mobbed because I didn't hire any security because I didn't think he was very famous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, but it was sort of from... It sort of moved on from then, from then, okay, I've just got to get over the mental side and yeah. just focus on not being ill. Yeah. But did, 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 obviously, did your mental health suffer at that point? Like, was you, like, during that period prior to your mum sort of saying that? But I just, just keen to analyse that, like you said, that mindset and that mental health issues around that. Around oh, I was a mess. Point. I was a mess. I look back now, I kept a diary in some of those... Uh, those those months and I read them now and I and I clearly said I want to die because living in my bedroom day in day out with no one being able to tell me whether I will ever have any quality of life again I'm feeling so utterly drained if, if I got out of bed and I sat up for half an hour that was my energy gone for the day and I literally couldn't do anything you know and it's like being almost like a vegetable and reliant on people around you. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Well, look, I, I want to. I want to talk. Obviously, we're going to move on to the Dragon's Den point in a minute. But just then, t talk to me. So you, you, now we've launched. So you, you, there was a problem, obviously, getting boxes for your jewelry company, and that's where obviously Tiny Box Company then w was yeah. born. So t just talk to me about the start of that and 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 kicking that off. So it was a trade fair in uh, Birmingham that I went to that was the final straw where I'd gone thinking I will find some gift boxes this time. <laughs> Walked around and found, do you know what, there's nothing. And I just remember sliding down the wall, just going, fine, I'll do it myself. If, <laughs> if no one else is going to provide them, I will. <laughs> and so I spent quite a few months in the British Library looking to see if in the marketing reports there, whether other people had the same problem as me. They did. So I found suppliers the where I could buy in bulk and then just sell online. And I was with a friend in East Grinstead uh, who had like a gift shop. And this bloke came in looking for a gift box. Oh, the irony. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we got chatting and he was a very well-known DJ at the time. He was on the, the Virgin Breakfast show and then he moved over to Kiss. And... Um, He'd just been fired for taking drugs, drinking too much, hijacking a radio station, and then broadcasting a lot of illicit content in the <laughs> middle of the night. Uh, so he was marched off the premises, sacked, and sent to rehab. And he'd come back from rehab, and that's when I met him in the shop. And I told him what we were doing, and he said, Oh, I'd love to do with that. Can I come and work with you? If anyone meets you like that, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. <laughs> I stupidly said yes. <laughs> Great idea. And um, he wasn't quite as rehabbed as he could have been. Won't go into any more details. Uh, but then realized that he wanted to go and get his girlfriend from Australia. Suddenly went back to Australia came back with said girlfriend, who is now his wife, and um, realized that actually he wanted to be back in broadcasting. So to get himself out, extricate himself from the business, he applied to Dragon's Den, didn't tell me, but thought that it would re-kickstart his career back on TV. Well, okay. So, didn't have a clue. BBC then phone up one day saying, got your application, <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, Tell us what you'd like the money for. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> not knowing where to go with this. Just and a Christian, or sorry, Robin Banks, uh, was actually in the um, office that day. And he's just going, blag it, blag it, make it up. <laughs> we need stock, premises, staff. <laughs> uh, so the next thing I know, we're on Dragon's Den and in front of five very stony faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, I've watched the episode obviously a few times and it was... Uh, Horrific. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> it, a tough experience. <laughs> so when they show it on TV, it's like a 10 minute slot. Yeah, we yeah. were in there two and a half hours. Oh, really? wow. It was the hottest day in May. We were melting. My makeup had fallen off. My hair had turned into a frizzball. <laughs> I was far more concerned about that. Than, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they were mean. They were really mean. Because that, that, like, Duncan Bannantyne rules you, doesn't he? And then, and then he basically says, really criticises, and then he goes, I'm out. 
at that point, he's the first dragon to go, I'm out. Where's your headspace at that point? You're standing there in front of these people. I can't possibly comment on a podcast and live audience. (laughs) 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 Let's just say (laughs) rude words were going through my head, but Mm. you're playing a game at the end of the day, you Mm. know, and they are playing characters to an extent. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And... um, if that didn't appeal to him, he didn't need to be quite so rude, but yeah. uh, he was just as rude off camera afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah. But did, did you, like, so at that point, though, so you've obviously been chucked into that by, which, or, 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 by, Robin. by, by yeah. Robin, yeah. You've been, you've been thrown into that position by that. But so did, did it affect you in the way that you were, you know what, um, I believe still in this vision, so if these people don't invest, it didn't matter to you, or how did you feel about it in that sense? Would you like it? Oh, I didn't expect investment. Really? I've been trading a few months, three, four months. Um, there was nothing patentable. I had no trading history. I knew less than that much about packaging. <laughs> <laughs> My background was software. You know? <laughs> uh, so I never thought for a minute that any of them would invest because I didn't have any of the normal credentials. I just thought great marketing window, you know, a couple of minutes of national TV. Mm-hmm. What could be better? Wow. So you, you, you go into something like that with the whole, I'll just wing it and, yeah, yeah. S- and see what happens. And, and lo and behold, it actually, because what was really fascinating actually about the, about the, I don't know how many people have seen the episode, but watching the episode was, was, was really fascinating, was, was the term when Peter Jones talks about just actually buying into people. What's one, one of our things with, obviously I've run county business clubs and one of our main things that come out of our narrative was around people buy from people. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that really come across in that episode, exactly that, that you, you stood up there and actually, irrespective of the business that you was talking about, that they actually bought into you. Not so much Christian, but they, they bought into you. Yeah. The way that all of them look at businesses is a lot of the time it's not even about the product. Yeah. It's whether they think that they can turn your business into some kind of cash cow, yeah. um, or you know, or, or take it to the next level. And 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 you obviously you won the investment. I think it was sixty thousand. Sixty thousand, yeah, for forty yeah. percent of my business. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it's, so you, you say that you say that now. But do you? At the time, was you, you was you euphoric about that? Like you, you just you've been on Dragon's Den, you've now got two entrepreneurs invested money to help your business grow. What was you, walking out at that point? What was your? Oh, it blew my mind. I never told them I was ill. I never told them that <laughs> I didn't actually know whether I'd be able to run the business. <laughs> small, small technical yeah. hitch. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I was blown away that that they saw potential. Uh, and that we could potentially, you know, really make something of it. But the, I mean, it, we're only a few months in. Like you said, you, you're a few months in going into that. But the, the, prior to going on it, did you have a, a, a bigger vision for it with Tiny Bob? When you first started it, so a few months in prior to going on the show, did you believe that it could have been a big business like, like what you've created? Or? I've always got big ideas. <laughs> 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 I, I realised that there was a bit of a... Um, uh, uh, I can't think of the word, a dilemma, if you like, between my health and where I saw it of being like a, a multi-zillion pound empire. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, well, we'll just worry that about that as we go along. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I'm just so, 
but they've obviously then come on board then so that but and a big help or talk to me about that process of them then uh, afterwards with dragons then them who's listening to the podcast (laughs) 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 all i'll say is if anyone ever thinks about doing something like dragon's den think really carefully (laughs) about what you're going to get because i genuinely thought that i would be mentored because that's how it's portrayed on tv but actually what they said to me was that they were going to forward me the money and leave me to run the business and and i was devastated because i had the classic imposter syndrome i didn't know anything about packaging anyway which was a bit of a stumbling block (laughs) And, (laughs) and and i really thought that i would be working it was very naive of me in hindsight, but I thought I was going to be working in their offices, you know, and <laughs> and we were all going to run off into the sunset with a huge empire, you know. And the reality was that I was just another you said, of... There you go, good luck. Yeah, yeah, it really was like that. Wow. But you, but then you've done it. So you've come out of that. Did that, that then, although you had the imposter syndrome side of stuff, and I'm always keen to talk about it, I think, you know it's become quite a buzzword recently a lot of people talk about how, how we suffer from that but i do like you, you still at that point you then went and and have grown it to this big things you did was it almost like oh, they're not they're not going to support and help so i've just got to get stuck in and i'm going to make this happen did it drive you and spur you more or yeah i guess it did you know i've, I've i don't know where it comes from i don't know whether it's just in my blood or whether it is because of childhood being a little unusual Mm. that I've just got this inbuilt just got to keep going keep trying to make things better Mm. you know and okay so they're not going to work with me I'm just going to get on and do it and do it to the best of my ability Mm. and almost Mm. like sod them you know and I guess like another word that could certainly come out of the whole of covid i guess resilience entrepreneurs mm-hmm. business owners a lot of people in the room you know we had to be resilient you've got to bounce back after things and i think uh, uh, listening to your story from a personal life point of view the amount of resilience and skills you've had to develop from from that to hold you in good stead for for running a business because the ups and downs in a business i guess in your head do you think to yourself that Actually, what I've been through is a lot harder than than, than this. It's true. You know, if you look at things from a psychological point of view, we've all got our norm and we've all got our comfort zone. Mm. And if your comfort zone has been stretched to like huge dimensions, Mm. sort of day-to-day running of things is, is trivial in comparison. So my norm of being able to deal with things is generally, you know, a lot greater capacity than than other people around me. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I got, I've had cancer twice in the last four years, and um, the first time I was diagnosed, I sort of did feel a bit sorry for myself when my husband and I had been and got the diagnosis, and I, and I said to him, "I'm going to have a day feeling sorry for myself if that's okay," and he said. Yep, you can have a day, and then tomorrow we've just got to get on with it. Um, and that's that's, that's the attitude you just, just have to take. And it's, again, uh, such a, for for any business owner, it's such an important lesson to mm. to have. You have got to, you know things do get tough sometimes, and yeah. you, and you 
feel low or down and you're oh, stressing out about X, Y and Z. But My husband's so sympathetic as well, as you might have gathered from that. <laughs> <laughs> as is my wife, of course. <laughs> always, always. Um, as, uh, I guess, talk to me then about, look, you've been running a business now for 15 years. Yeah. Um, we've talked about, obviously, your challenges and your personal. T- talk to me about some of the ups and downs in that 15 years of running a business, some of the challenges that you, you faced. Where do I start? I built the website and we were mainly e-commerce online. Google blacklisted us. Now, I didn't even know that was a thing. But suddenly the phone stopped ringing, the orders stopped coming in, and I went to Google and typed in Tiny Box Company. Nothing happened. We'd just gone. And um, I didn't know that that could happen and it took three weeks of research and then getting hold of an expert who said you've been blacklisted what do you mean I've been blacklisted how can I be blacklisted turned out that somebody had hacked into our website and written what they call white code over (coughs) my website of inappropriate content that the Google bots had then picked up and so they just struck me off Hmm. and but they don't tell you they've struck you off and you have to appeal and then try and get yourself back on. That could have killed our business because we were e-commerce mm. and um, I never found, never got to the bottom of it of who hacked us or anything like that. Uh, so that was my first... <laughs> first challenge. Real challenge. And then uh, I walked into the premises one day, uh, opened the door and my desk was floating, as were all the chairs and some of the stock. We'd been flooded so badly. It wasn't like a little flood down <laughs> there. It, everything was literally floating. And of course, I opened the door and just... Wow. <laughs> 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 Get the boat out. <laughs> yeah. It was really bad. Yeah. Uh, my um, the first warehouse caught fire. I think there was probably all these signs that perhaps this wasn't the route for me. <laughs> but I ignored them all anyway. Uh, yeah, the, um, it was a really hot day. There's a theme there. And the, the warehouse had halogen lights in the ceiling. The health and safety, or when they built, constructed the building, apparently you're supposed to leave like 12 inches or something mm. between the insulation and the light. And it hadn't. So it had got overheated the light caught fire and dropped onto cardboard boxes. Wow. And literally, Blimey. So, um, yeah, my dad was actually visiting me that day and he used to be in the fire brigade. That's the one thing he did actually do. We know that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, don't just stand there, dial 999. <laughs> so I just froze, just watching the flames. You know? Unbelievable. Uh, that's um, <laughs> by any stretch. There's some challenges along. Where does where does COVID fit into to that? Ad? So among amongst amongst the many challenges you faced. So 2018, uh, my sister was unfortunately diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, and I had a hunch. It's the only way I can describe it. And I said to my husband, I would like to just have a full body scan. And just see if I'm okay because there's a gene that runs in our family. Two days later, the hospital called me and said we found a tumour. And um, yeah, it was lung cancer. 
So 2019, I was in Guy's and St. Thomas's where they removed the whole section of my lung, keyhole. And um, we kind of got through that in 2019. And in early 2020, we went on holiday because I was allowed to travel. And it's like, yes, we're back to normal. Great, lovely holiday in Florida. We did have a very nice time. <laughs> That was in the end of January, beginning of February. We got COVID. We came back to the UK and then we got COVID, but didn't know it was COVID. Uh, we were pretty poorly for a couple of weeks. Um, just got everything back on an even keel and then COVID hit. And our business fell off a cliff instantly. As the day that Boris said, everyone go home. Really? Yeah, our, our website just stopped because you know, with everybody dealing with a COVID crisis, getting a ring box or a bangle box isn't top of your priority <laughs> list. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'd like to say it was clever foresight. It wasn't, it was pure fluke that we were geared up with all of the staff having laptops and everything being cloud-based. So mm. all the staff could literally go home that day other than warehouse and production. Yeah. So operationally wise, we were okay. We just had no orders <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'd sort of done risk assessment and, you know, um, and break even to see how much cash we could, how long we could last with no money coming in. And, uh, our accountant said, oh, it's okay. You've got two to three months. And again, just a hunch, my husband and I were at home at the weekend and I said, something's not right. I'm going to go through those numbers. And I realized that our accountant had missed out half a million pounds of committed purchase orders. Wow. And suddenly I was number. like, we're F star, 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 <laughs> <laughs> D. <laughs> <laughs> totally screwed. And um, uh, obviously I had a bit of a meltdown. And husband, being the normal sympathetic husband, said, okay, well, you've had a tantrum now. Now you need to look at how we're going to fix this <laughs> and move on. The voice of reason. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so actually what we realized was that our key strength is distribution and, uh, and warehousing and that most of our customers had lost their livelihood because we supplied the cottage industry, people that make candles, jewelry, all that kind of thing. And suddenly they had no revenue. So I said, I know I've had an idea. Let's build a marketplace online where they can all sell their stuff. We'll dispatch it for them because we're good at that. And they'll still need gift boxes. Love it. Five weeks later, we had a platform. Wow. Wow. And that, and that, I'm assuming then that saved. It turned out that we could like shrink some of the POs. Yeah. So we weren't over committed. Um, and then three weeks after COVID, the business just went mad. Wow. It was so busy. Wow. That's amazing. What a, again, what a turnabout. I mean, when you, again, when you're up against it and you're stuck in those positions, you're up against stuff and as entrepreneurs and, and business, you know, the ultimate thing is where, we're geared to solve problems, I guess, and find solutions, aren't we? And I guess that's one of the a big takeaway from that. Like, like I say, from <laughs> is there ever a point? I listen to, to to your story and your journey. Is there ever a point that you you've sat there and gone, "Give me a break"? Yeah, I have. 
um, I think the lung cancer was one of those moments because, you know, I'd had all my illness problems beforehand, yeah. then breast cancer in 2016. Then in 2017, there was a tumor found on my parathyroid. I didn't even know we had parathyroids. <laughs> Uh, so I had to have my throat slit open for that. That was non-cancerous, but that was 2017. And then cancer again in 2018. Uh, I was just like, come on, universe, this is a little unfair here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you, and you, you'd be fair to say that. To yeah. Um, my dad had died in the meantime, and then my sister, as I say, diagnosed, and, and she died last year. So that six-year period was just like... Come on, universe, this is a little unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> but And you're still going and still going. And like I said, you're still, even in through all them times, especially from a business point of view, and when your personal life is struggling as well. I always think that sometimes if we're in business, if you know the business is struggling but your personal life's good, then, then that's okay, then you can deal with the other. Mm. If your business is not, you know, and your personal life is the other way around, then you, know, you can deal with either one of them. But when... Both are being affected. Um, trying to trying to find the resilience and the strength to, to pick yourself up. You've got to get on and, and got to get on with. Like you said, back to what we started talking about. I guess at the start that mm. always have choices. Yeah, you've got to choose to. I think for me, one of the things that really hit me was, quite frankly, I wouldn't be here if my sister hadn't died because it was her diagnosis that made me go and get checked. I had mm. no symptoms, and I didn't even realise that with lung cancer, by the time you get the symptoms, it's pretty much too late. You know, mm. in the UK, you have a 14% chance of survival of, of beyond five years if you've, if you've been diagnosed with it. Mm. So it was, it was like a heavy burden that, you know, my sister's gone, she's got two children, um, and because of her, I'm still here. And it just kind of changed my thinking that you've got to make it count whatever you want to do and whatever success looks like to you just make your time count as opposed to sitting there feeling sorry for yourself or you know if only I had the courage to change this if I didn't have imposter syndrome whatever excuses we feed ourselves yeah, with that yeah, monkey yeah. brain you know yeah. uh, it's, it's going back to that choice yeah love that well um let's move on and talk about a little bit about then success what does what, what does that look like to you so success to me is whatever is important to you and whatever means something to you you know donna it is donna isn't it uh donna was at a lunch with me on monday although we didn't know that each other was at the lunch uh, and donna said you know I, I felt like you know i wasn't worthy to be there and and it's this lack of self-worth that we have and yet Donna to me is hugely successful because it's not about money it's not about you know building capitalist empires it's the impact that you have on other people's lives and and for the greater good you know and and we we are caught in this capitalist that success must be that I'm driving a pink Lamborghini or mm. you know having my multi-million pound house that's not success. Donna is success to me. Love that. Love that. Because I, 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 I talk about it a lot on the podcast in general about, because I, I totally agree with you that this, this, 
the narrative around success because of social media, whatever it is, yeah. the narrative around success is based on you're a successful person based on your financial worth. Yeah. And it's... How shallow. Yeah. It's, it, it, and it's because the amount of people I've actually spoke to on the podcast who have become multi-millionaires, mm -hmm. but the link with that and happiness is far from like people will come on we, we released a pod we released an episode on monday um on mental health awareness day from a guy who has built a multi-million 120 million turnover company and sold a percentage of it and you know got more money than it but was went for a really low point and, and struggled with mental health so you just and analyzing that that fact of people would see him as a really successful business person or whatever but so, and I'm I'm so passionate, I guess, about trying to change that narrative around what success exactly that what success looks like. I think certainly for me, I look at the I guess the relationships you build, people in this room who I've been mm -hmm. fortunate enough to you know surround myself with and within the business community support you and do that. I think and and mm -hmm. family and and they're they're the type of things that are I guess make someone maybe more successful. I success is what makes you happy, yeah. and. And a lot of the time, success is kind of focusing on a problem that is bigger than you. And whether that's a charity, whether it's uh, a, a greater cause or whatever, mm. that's yeah. success. And often that will lead to happiness mm. or, or be a part of happiness. But happiness, you know, it's such a cliche, but happiness really does come from within. Mm. It's not, you can't buy it. You can't make it. Yeah. It's, it's accepting who you are and what you are. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, talk, talk, so I just want to, as we're on that sort of path and, and just with a journey, and like I said, we've talked about some of the challenges, but talk about some of the, there's obviously been some highlights throughout the 15 years. Talk, talk to me about a couple of the highlights that have really given you that fulfillment where you've got, oh, brilliant, like we've done that. Or So one of those highlights, my husband's particularly proud of this one. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell by his face. <laughs> one of the highlights was uh, we, we wanted to start manufacturing ourselves. And uh, we, we sort of approached uh, East Sussex Council and said, you know, can we have any help with this? And, and they did offer us a loan. But my dad was dying with like leukemia at the time. And there was a lot going on. And it was high risk. Mm. And then I heard through the grapevine that a factory had gone into liquidation in Cornwall and that somebody could potentially buy it. So we went down to Cornwall <laughs> to look at bringing the assets back or the machinery back. And, um, and I said to husband, we could get this one started again. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, after he'd got over the initial shock <laughs> um, and sort of said, actually, you know, I've met the people and I think that's a really good idea. Mm. Uh, it was great. We, we were able to offer the jobs back to a lot of the people that had lost them. And uh, within a very short period of time, we got it from a loss-making business to a profit-making business, which meant so much to the team, mm. you know. Um, so that was definitely a highlight. Amazing, amazing. And to, to, with, with the teams, you've got about 80-odd staff. Eighty stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a few more at the moment more, because yeah. it's yeah, it's, it's, we're just under a hundred at the moment, I think, something like that. Just to, I just want to before we finish up, one comes, I talk talk to me a bit about culture within the company. Like, I always find it fascinating. Culture. People heard my story many times about I 
closed the hair salon. It was one of the businesses that didn't work out for me. I think I got the culture wrong. That was something that I, I, I felt I, I failed at, I guess. But I'm, I'm keen. Talk to me about the culture within Tiny Box coming out. What have you created there? Culture is so difficult. So difficult. We are going through the growing pains of being a small business and the buzz and the entrepreneurial excitement you get with that mm. and everybody on board. Um, and, and we really kind of recultivated that, if you like, during COVID. We were pulling in the same direction. Everybody was heading in the same way. Everyone gets let out in the real world. Half the team have an epiphany that they want to go and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that culture disintegrated so quickly. And, mm. and I had so many conversations with other businesses, you know, like, what have I done? And they're going, no, no, it's the same here. <laughs> really, really tough. Yeah. So do you know what I've done? I've sacked myself. <laughs> I have. I've brought in a new CEO. Really? Yeah. So I'm moving into sort of more chairperson type role. Yeah. Um, we've bought another company as well. So <laughs> going to be focusing on that. But in order to reset the culture, I've had to say, do you know what? I'm not sure I'm the right person on a day-to-day. -day. That's a great level of self-awareness, I guess, isn't it? From that point of view to look at and go, actually... This is my company, my baby that I've built, but actually being able to let go and go, I'm not the right person to be in that position. It, the, the pivot from being a small company to being much bigger, I think almost requires specialist mm. knowledge to, to, to change the culture, to proceduralize it, you know, mm. and, and bring in the processes that are required and the foundations to then really take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. That's not my skill set. I don't, I don't have the attention span. I just want to, before we go into our quick fire questions, I just want to ask, what, what does the future hold for Rachel Watkin? We've bought another company. <laughs> 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 I got the paperwork today. Yeah. Uh, can't say what it is yet because uh, we haven't signed the paperwork. Oh, I thought we were going to get an exclusive then. Oh, well, um, well you, you're kind of exclusive. <laughs> uh, it's another company that went into liquidation. Okay. And it's, it's a passion project because it's all sustainable and ethical items. <laughs> and we need it as, yeah. as a... Um, as a society, we have to start taking more responsible steps. But it's no good preaching. You know, it's, we need to do something about it rather than just preach. So, Love it. Love that. Awesome. Well, look, we're going to finish up with our, our quick fire questions. I've done this on every episode. So one piece of advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? I would tell my 18-year-old self, do not run off with a hell's angel. It's a really <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Who's been the biggest inspiration throughout your life and why? So this is really hard because growing up, there was no female entrepreneurs. Well, in mm. fact, you didn't know a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs at all. And so the only person that I guess kind of helped influence me was Princess Diana because she always maintained her dignity. She got thrown so much public abuse and cameras and everything, but you never saw her fighting back. She was never slating people, you know. She just maintained dignity and stayed kind. Yeah, love that. Okay, awesome. Um, could you recommend a book or a podcast for our listeners that have had an impact on you? Anyone heard of Stephanie Shirley? 
Dame Stephanie Shirley, yeah. Okay, so one person. <laughs> Dame Stephanie Shirley is an incredible woman, incredible woman. She uh, was a refugee in the war, and because uh, she was German, a German Jew, and uh, she worked in computers. But in the 1950s, as a woman, you were not allowed to work in computers. And she wanted to run her own business. She wanted children. But of course, working and having children at the time, just no. And especially not in computers. Mm -hmm. So she set up her own computer business at home. And of course, she couldn't win any contracts. So she renamed herself as Steve and sent, <laughs> <laughs> sent all the tenders out and everything under the name of Steve. And she ended up with, I think it was about 300 women, all working at home, coding, doing all the coding, and they coded the black box for Concorde. Wow. Um, and her company became a multi-billion pound company by the early 2000s, and no one's ever heard of her. Incredible. So the story is, well, the book's called Let It Go, and it, it's by Stephanie Shirley. Amazing. Love that. Right, finally. What is your one rule for living a fulfilled life? I have two. Am I allowed to? Of course, you go for it. <laughs> the first one really winds my husband up because I always <laughs> say, just open doors. Always open doors because you never know where the opportunities might take you. But the second one is always be kind. Be kind because you never know what is going on in people's lives, whether they're having a bad day, you know, the history or what they're dealing with. And just be kind. Brilliant. Love that. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It was it's so inspirational and I'm sure everyone in the room will agree what, a, what an inspiration you are and listening to your story and the challenges you faced in business and in personal life is, is, is amazing. And look, I wish you continued success, happiness and, and everything in, in between. But I don't know if we've got any, any questions in the room. Have we got anyone that would like a question? Stunned silence. <laughs> yeah, hi. Me? <laughs> I just read and read and learnt and um, I've been lucky enough to sort of meet a few really clever people on the way where I, when I've got really stunned, like, ideas on this um, and having a great team because often the team know the answers they aren't they they're far more knowledgeable than me on a lot of stuff and yeah and and it's just been about building foundations at each level and we we stullified our growth is stullified a word oh I just made that up yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, because I wanted the growth to be self-funded I didn't want us to start being heavily debt laden or to dilute our investment further. So our average growth, I think, has been 46% year on year. And we've just done it really steadily, but on an upward trajectory. Amazing. Hi. The dragons now have 44%. Because Robin, who was the the broadcaster, the company bought him out. So that's dilute, uh, that's shrunk back down the share. So percentage wise, they now have 44%. Wow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight's, 
I would also tell my 18-year-old self, don't do Dragon's Den. <laughs> <laughs> or, or do Dragon's Den, but just don't take the money. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Rachel, thank you again. Thank you so much. Please, round of applause for everyone, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you very much.